Welcome to the Brian Thomas Crop Podcast. My name is Brian Thomas Crop, and I believe that stories have a tremendous power for good, so I write them and I enjoy sharing them with you. If you are new to the show, uh, the way things uh, work around here is in just a moment, you'll hear a chapter from uh, one of the stories that I have written. And in this case, it is from my first novel showdown in the Yukon. We are up to chapter 39. So if you would like to go all the way back to the beginning and catch all of the adventure up to this point, you'll want to swing back to episode 17. Um, but we'll read a chapter uh, and then on the other side of that chapter, get a little bit of a director's commentary, maybe some Easter eggs, maybe a little bit about how a story gets written. Um, but just to, to briefly catch you up again, swing back to episode 17 for all the nitty gritty uh, details. Um, but we've been on an, an adventure with a young ex pickpocket named Monterey Jack Danvers, uh, who's been hired by his ex partner in crime, Max Sutherland to help Mrs. Gladys Finch and her daughter, Lucy, to reclaim uh, some property that has a gold mine on it in the Yukon territory. And this all takes place roughly in the 1880s. Uh, along the way, there's been all kinds of uh, different ups and downs, and Monterey has discovered uh, this sort of mysterious, magical pearl that has been helping him as he's uh, making his way forward. Uh, where we are right now in Chapter 39 is uh, they have acquired the property, yay, and uh, the, Monterey has... Also, uh, without Mrs. Finch knowing it, he has acquired the uh, deed to the land. And she needs that deed in order to claim her right to own the property. But she's acting a little uh, crazy, has a little gold lust going on. And so uh, Monterey wants to help her. And so he now has a choice to make with uh, this gold claim that he has. And he has left the house and he is, uh, I think, on his way to uh, maybe talk to the town elders and see if maybe uh, a deal can be reached. So that is where we find ourselves so far. So uh, we will get into chapter 39 of Showdown in the Yukon right after we hear from this week's sponsors. Well, I am excited to let you know that Shell Game, the sequel to Showdown in the Yukon, is now available at Amazon. It is available in Kindle and paperback and hardcover. And Shell Game tells the story of a private detective named Evan Gold who works in a small Kansas town. And there have been three mysterious murders that have happened. And he needs to unwind all of the mystery, find the person or persons behind the murders before the police nab him for all of them. They think that he is at the center of all of it. And he does run into the pearl, the same pearl that Monterey Jack uh, has run into in Showdown in the Yukon. And you'll just have to pick up the book to find out uh, the interaction between uh, the pearl and Evan. So swing over to Amazon, tell your friends about it, grab a copy for yourself. You can also uh, read it for free over at brianthomascrop.com. But I'm so happy to be able to share uh, this next installment in the Pearl Saga with you. And with that, on to our chapter this week. Chapter 39. 
Monterey froze in his tracks and raised his hands. He had practiced surrendering many times as a pickpocket. Most days he got away scot-free, but other days he did not. He learned it's better to give up quickly and improvise a way out than to run. So far he had always been able to talk himself out of actually going to jail. It always was worse for the runners. It was rare anyone could run fast enough or long enough to get away from the law. This time, though, he figured giving in to the capture might cut out some of the steps in meeting the folks in power. I come in peace, he called out. A man dressed for the cold night emerged from the trees with his rifle cocked and aimed. Which one are you? the man said. My name's Monterey, Monterey Jack Danvers. Didn't see anyone leave the house. The man's eyes narrowed as he continued to stare down the gun's barrel. What are you doing out here? Monterey's heart pounded as he could not take his eyes off the open end of the gun's barrel. It was like he could see all the way down it. There's something in my shirt I would like to show you. I promise I'm not carrying a weapon, Monterey said. Move real slow, the man said, adjusting his gun to get a better grip. Monterey lowered one hand down, never taking his eye off the guard's hands. After fishing the deed out from under his shirt, he held it up so the man with the gun could see it. What's that? he asked. It's the claim document to this here mine, Monterey said. It's what the whole fight is over. I want to see Buck. Within the hour, Monterey was standing before Buck and a council of town elders. Each one of the men looked like they had been sleeping comfortably in their beds only moments earlier. Monterey could not tell if the men were still removing cobwebs from their minds, or they did not like him. Probably a good mix of both. What's this about another claim to the mine? Buck began. Once again, Monterey held it out to be witnessed. A boy, roughly Monterey's age, came and took it from his hands and then presented it to Buck. Buck looked it over for a few minutes before passing it over to the elders to examine. Not another claim, sir, Monterey said, standing as confidently as he could. That's the original claim. Brown held on to it after booting the finches and taking control. Is it authentic? Buck asked. I didn't forge it, if that's what you're asking, Monterey replied. I found it in the house. Why didn't Mr. Brown destroy it? I have no idea. I certainly would have. But now Brown's dead and we can never know. Why are you bringing this to us? We don't want to claim the mine. We only want some help in putting our lives back together. At this, there were low murmurs of agreement from the rest of the council. Because we both know this foolishness has to end, Monterey said. He too was tired and hungry and had nearly lost his patience with the pettiness. Mrs. Finch, whose husband signed that claim, has the gold fever pretty awful, as you have witnessed. Since you all won't let her be and figure out how to pull yourselves up on your own strength, I'm certain this will only end with everyone back at the property, dead of starvation, exposure, or both, and everyone in Penny Canyon still not getting the money you need in a just and honorable way. Any payment you get will have a covering of guilt of a family's death on it, so I am here to end the standoff and reach some equitable and fair conclusion. He had no idea where these words came from. Monterey had never felt so bold, so sure, so honest. He quickly held his hands behind his back so the council could not see his nervous and shaky gestures. The council stared silently at Monterey for a long and uncomfortable moment. A feeling began in Monterey's stomach that warned him this could still go very badly. He knew they were considering the weight of the situation ahead. Would they see reason, or were they too upset at Mrs. Finch and too destitute to think clearly? Eventually, Buck spoke up. Mr. Monterey, if you would kindly wait outside while we talk this over. Monterey nodded. His arm was brusquely grabbed and pulled back out into the cold. 
It was a lovely night under the northern stars. He suddenly had the desire to get back to Good and Gulch and the Hayes House Inn and washing all of those dishes. Of all the places, why did he want to go back there? This entire adventure he had wanted to get back home, but for the first time he realized home meant Good and Gulch. He chuckled to himself at that thought. He knew it was futile to go back there. Paps was done with him. Paps. Monterey remembered how he had left things with the one guy who took a chance on him when he was trying to get out of the life of crime. Maybe he should go back there and clear things up with his old boss. Even if it did not work out for a job, at least it would be warmer than this. The cold air swirled his warm breath out into the dark. Monterey smiled broadly at the thought of seeing that dusty old place again. He looked back at the council meeting through the frost-lined windows. How much longer would they chat in there? It would be nice for all of this to be over finally, one way or another. He thought this journey would turn out so differently, but he also knew one rarely gets to hold in his hands the kind of promise sold to him. As much as Mrs. Finch was swimming in grief and greed, Monterey had to admit that the love of money had been a significant reason he had chosen to come on this trip. Love of money and a girl. He wondered how Lucy fared and if he would be able to see her again before this ended. He didn't know what he would say to her, but he looked forward to the possibility. Monterey knew he did not know her well enough to ask questions about marriage and the like, but he certainly did want to get to know her better assuming she had not been bitten by the greed bug as well. It was just as Monterey tried to remember the curve of Lucy's cheekbones just below her eyes when he got the signal to rejoin the council. Monterey took a deep breath and walked back into the meeting. Every face in that room looked as if they were solving the fate of the whole world. Not one smile anywhere. This is bad, he thought. This is really bad. The grim tension was almost tangible. I'm going to ask you again. Buck began by spreading the claim flat on the table in front of him. Why do you bring this to us now? Because I want everyone to live at peace with one another if that is still possible. Why not hold on to it for yourself? Keep all that gold for yourself. Monterey did not have a quick answer for this one. Of course, he wanted gold. He would take every ounce he could. The thought has crossed my mind, he said, but I suppose I know if I try to swindle you, things would likely go much worse for me. Buck had a chuckle at that comment. Monterey could feel some of the tension blow out of the room and started to breathe a little easier. Do you have the authority to use this deed to negotiate with us? Buck said, leaning back in his chair. I think you know I don't. But if you had the claim documented Mrs. Finch didn't, it might be a good bargaining tool to bring her to her senses before there has to be any fighting. We don't plan any violence against her, said one of the other men. Monterey chose not to argue that the siege on the property was a kind of violence all its own. Another elder, who had a thick bushy beard hiding his mouth when he talked, said, We understand the great sacrifice and risk you've taken in coming here to speak with us. We have no desire to cause anyone undue distress. If you would like, you would be welcome to stay in town with us. We have food and warm tents. Winter's full force is coming any day now. We would want to see you taken care of. Also, Buck said, refolding the claim and placing it inside his shirt, we will hold on to this. As you said, it might be just the thing to help your boss see some sense. Monterey bowed his head out of respect to the councilman. The deed is yours, he said, faking a smile. Part of him knew he was saying goodbye to all of his riches. Do what you want with it, 
Just keep in mind it's rightfully hers and would heap a wrong upon a wrong for it to be stolen from her a second time. I appreciate the offer to stay here in town. It's a tempting offer, but as you say, she is my boss and I have promised to help her succeed if I can. I'll need to get back before her first slide, otherwise she may find me missing and this whole conversation will be for nothing. All of the men stood. Buck shook Monterey's hand and said, I don't understand why you would want to go back there, but I can respect your loyalty. You are certainly a man of better character than most, Monterey. Monterey felt his cheeks heat up at that. No one in Good and Gulch ever mentioned he had any character at all, though he realized there were proper reasons for that. Would they even recognize him if he made it back home? Orville will guide you back to your property, Buck said. Monterey looked and saw his guard reappear. Monterey's heart sank. How was he going to get inside the house without showing Orville the secret door? If that door became known, Mrs. Finch's relatives wouldn't be able to make it onto the property. The townsfolk could pop in the house without warning, and the war might just as quickly start inside the house as anywhere else. All the way back, Monterey thought about how to get into the house. He wondered if the pearl would give him any guidance. So far, nothing. Before Monterey came up with a reasonable plan, they arrived at the property fence. The two of them stood there a moment. Well, off you go, said Orville. Yep, Monterey said to himself and began climbing the fence. He walked with confidence toward the house and looked back a few times to see if Orville had left. Finally, he looked back and his chaperone was gone. Monterey ducked down and got as close to the side of the house as possible to avoid detection through the windows. He made it to the back of the house and noticed something strange in the eastern sky. The sky was transitioning from black to gray. Rising into the pre-dawn light, there were two parallel lines of smoke. The lines were not the continuous smoke from an extinguished campfire. These started and stopped. As best as Monterey could tell, they were talking with each other. But what they said was a mystery. He did not know what the sight would bring to pass and prayed it stayed far away. Monterey tried the knob to the back door. It was unlocked. He slunk in. Max still slept in the green room. His absence had gone unnoticed by his boss. Monterey folded himself into a nearby chair and attempted to catch whatever sleep he could find before the day began. And the plot thickens. So uh, one of the things that I have mentioned multiple times as we've gone through this story uh, together and as I've re-listened to the recordings of me doing uh, this is I should never go into voice work for accents. Um, I decided not to put any outtakes in this, but there were some just really atrocious <laughs> accents. And I remember again, uh, recording this and I'm, you know, this is chapter 39 of 47 and I'm recording this in my spare time and just wanting to get it done. And then I would come across another council member with a bushy mustache says a thing. I'm like, oh, another voice. So um, thank you for your uh, patience and tolerance with all the voices. And who knows at this point, if even I've, I've kept them consistent in all those things. Um, but this is, uh, this was, I think, in, in retrospect, a very difficult chapter to write and not because it was emotionally difficult or anything like that. It's arguably a lot of exposition and there's not a lot of story movement, even at its best. Um, it's a negotiation between Buck and Monterey 
and there's just not a lot going on. And um, if you've been following the show for a while, you know that one of the tools that I use to write the story, outline it, make some sense out of it and finish it was um, a model called uh, the story grid, where it essentially takes the very thing that we all learned in school about how to take a story and break it down into five parts of um, like an inciting event and then rising action and um, it was climax resolution and falling action or I can't remember them all. He's got different labels for those in, in the story grid uh, thing, but it's basically those same five things, but that there needs to be a turn that uh, there's a, a, a crisis that happens where the hero must choose, am I going to lean into the good part of my value set or the negative part of my value set? And it was just difficult to find that in this um, uh, thing. Uh, so um, mostly what this becomes is I started realizing I've got all kinds of, I think, reasonable questions for the what's going on. And I know the writer part of me wants to finish the story. I know where I'm going, but the logic part of me says that any reasonable person reading or listening to this story will have a million questions that are good questions um, to, to ask about you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna steal a, a thing, why why just leave it out behind a a picture frame, and uh, why not uh, go to a judge and claim that you got it for yourself and somehow swindle a new document? Like, there's all kinds of questions that could be and should be asked. That I just like, well, I, I I've got to just kind of skip over a lot of those issues so I so I can get to the ending that I know I'm, I'm after, which is I, arguably not the right way to write this. Um, so this was a way to get through a lot of those questions and have Buck ask all of them and have Monterey come up with an answer. I don't know that they're great answers or the best answers, but they're at least answers. Um, so I, you know, this is just as a writer goes, I think every once in a while you come across a chapter or a moment you're like, Ugh. How do I, I got to get through this thing? I'm told that in the television show Friends, they had an episode, at least an episode a year where they knew because of different factors, they were running over budget on their annual budget for the year. And so they would try to find what is the least expensive episode to shoot. And that was how do we, you know, let's keep it all on one set. So the whole show would take place in um, Monica and Phoebe's apartment, or it would take place in Joey and um, Chandler's apartment, or maybe at Central Perk or somewhere, but they would keep it to one set and um, that just helped with, with production costs. Um, there was even an episode of uh, The Chosen, which is, uh, if you're not familiar, is a show about um, Jesus and his disciples and the ministry that Jesus had. But there was an episode I watched recently where it's essentially the same thing. Uh, Jesus is off camera for most of the show, arguably listening to people and praying with them and healing them. But the show itself is the disciples sitting around a campfire talking. 
And it was like, what is going on? I guess every once in a while you hit these these moments like, I don't know what to do, um, but I've got to do something. So uh, thank you for your indulgence with this. And I hope that the, the questions um, uh, got answered for you. Uh, there's other this issue that um, I realized as I was writing the story and revising the story that I kept dealing with going home because what I knew going in was that Monterey was going to end up uh, back at Gooden Colch at some point. And that was the whole thing. This was, <clears throat> um, if you were to draw the pattern of the story, it's sort of a circle. He starts at home, he has an adventure and ends back at home. And I, I realized that the way he left things in Gooden Gulch with uh, Paps Montgomery and all, there was no reasonable aspect of him going home. And yet I've talked about it. You know, he's mentioned this several times about going home and going home and going home. And it's always kind of been going back to, to Good and Gulch. I'm like, mm, I need to figure this thing out. And so I did intentionally write in the revelation of, oh, yeah, going home to Good. Uh, this whole chapter is just full of band-aids of, of the story. And so you get to listen to um, a writer <laughs> trying to shore up all of the, the story holes or plot holes uh, in, in the book. But that's at least these are the, my takeaways from listening to this. So uh, if you are writing a book or writing a story, um, I think the takeaway is uh, mask it as best as you can, that sometimes you don't know what you're doing, but you're trying to trudge forward anyway. Um, have other people read the book um, and see if they can offer you any help. And in retrospect, what I should have done but didn't do was just follow the logic wherever it went and if it changed where i was headed uh, i should stop re-outline refigure things out and possibly come up with a more interesting ending it would mean i'm writing without a safety net as this one was uh, more tightly uh, linked to um, the story of the hobbit um, it, it would un, unhook me from that <clears throat> and put me on, on another path. Uh, but that may ha that may be a, a better way to go in the future. But it is what it is at this point. Uh, I hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Brian Thomas Crop podcast. And if you have not uh, picked up a copy of Showdown, you still can. It's over there on Amazon. Uh, if you have, I would appreciate you leaving a, a rating and a review over there. That helps uh, Amazon kick that over to other people who might be interested in uh, this story. And I know you heard an ad earlier about Shell Game, but it's out, man. Go grab a self copy. I would enjoy hearing uh, what you think about that. Also, if you haven't signed up for my reader group, you can do that over at BrianThomasCrop.com as well. Well, that is it for this show. And until next time, I hope you have a great week.